Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in! Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Well, I'm recording it in the morning, um, but whenever you are listening to this, welcome. I hope you're having a great day. Um, I am having quite the morning. I am... It's been very relaxing. I just woke up like 15 minutes ago and I'm sitting in the my office in my condo. My cat is next to me. His name is Mick. He's curled up like a little loaf of bread with no arms. Oh, he's getting up since I said his name. Um, and we were listening to some smooth jazz earlier <laughs> uh, while I prepared for uh, getting the setup ready for the podcast. So we are just hanging out together. And today I wanted to talk about something that's a little different for me. It's not really faith, politics, or history, but it is relevant, I think. Well, I talked a little bit about it. I can't remember if that was just like on TikTok or something, but I was talking a while ago about something that is called crunchy moms. Like, um, crunchy moms are a group of moms that consider themselves to be kind of like hippies a little bit. So traditionally, I've thought of them as like, anti-vax um let's see they're they're well I shouldn't say anti-vax I hate when people do that label after the whole COVID vaccine thing they are skeptical about vaccines and like vaccine schedules so a lot of them will vaccinate their kids but at a different schedule um than what's recommended they a lot of times do like co-sleeping or um like their anti-sleep training, um, baby led weaning, which is instead of having like purees you feed to your baby, you, um, you know, have them like pick up their food and start to try to eat it on their own. Um, there's a bunch of different things and I'm like pretty much 50, 50 on if I like the idea or not. Like I hate the idea of co-sleeping like in the same bed or even like some people do a little tiny cot that's like kind of connected to the bed, but it's like its own separate thing. And, um, I do not like that idea. I want to get a lot of sleep, but I'm a mom if possible. Like I want to get as much as I can. I know obviously that, uh, sometimes it's not going to happen, but I want to get as much as possible. I want to maximize the chance. So that seems to me like sharing a bed with your baby would not lead to that. Anyway, so one of the topics that I mentioned and one of the topics I've been looking at a lot recently is the idea of sleep training. Because, I don't know, I'm a planner and I would like to have kids in the somewhat near future. And so I wanted to know if sleep training is something that I want to do. Because I've seen, like, I watch a lot of YouTube. I really don't watch TV. I only watch YouTube. And so many of the YouTubers I follow are now pregnant. Like all of a sudden, they're they're all getting pregnant. So um, a lot of them are talking about this and talking about other kind of baby-related things, uh, topics, and what's worked and what hasn't worked for them. Like for example, one of the YouTubers that I watch got into um, cloth diapering. And so I was like, wait, I haven't even thought about cloth diapering. I didn't even think that was a thing anymore. And I went on this like rabbit hole spiral of research about cloth diapering. And I decided I am, 
definitely not doing that. I thought it was kind of going to be like this cool, like old fashioned sort of way to do it. And I don't know why that was appealing to me because it's the thought of like dealing with so much poop is kind of cringy to me. But, um, I figured out it was like, yes, it's a cloth diapering, but they have all these like high tech cloth diapers and, I don't know. They're like all these kind of bright and out there designs and the diapers are huge and you have to like uh, change out liners. And if your baby is not breastfeeding anymore, you have to like scrape off poop into the diaper. And I don't know. It just seems like way too much. You have to worry about stains and all of this stuff. I thought it was going to be like cute, like old fashioned Little House on the Prairie diaper style. (laughs) And somehow people made that work. Um, and you would save a lot of money. Well, it turns out cloth diapering. I don't know why I'm going on this whole thing about cloth diapering. My, this episode's going to be sleep training, but, um, cloth diapering, I thought would save a ton of money, but I didn't realize that each cloth diaper, since it's like so high tech now, and you have to, for some of them, you have to have like an absorbent inner layer and a waterproof outer layer. And then you have to like layer them and put these multiple liners in and then change the liners uh, into certain configurations for bedtime because they pee more. Anyway, so it seems like way too hard, but the setup cost, like each diaper is like 18 to 25 bucks and you need like 20 is kind of the going consensus that I've heard. And so you're spending a ton of money in the upfront cost Uh, And like, there's a lot of kind of trying out new ones. Like there's multiple types of diapers and people are like, yeah, just go buy, like go buy one of each type and then try them out. It's like, so you're going to be probably wasting money trying to figure out which ones you like. And, and I don't know, it just seems, uh, like too much. So they basically said you wouldn't see any savings on money wise, Um, until after the first year, which I think you like potty train around year two. So it's only going to be like a year of savings. And from what I calculated, I thought it was like $600 of savings or something. And for $600, I'm willing to just throw away a diaper, you know? So anyway, okay. So that was my tangent on uh, cloth diapering, but this episode is going to be on sleep training. Now, again, this is like way planning ahead. But it was very interesting because this one is so controversial. Like, I feel like the people that I've heard that have done it are absolutely in love with sleep training. They're like, this helped so much um, to have the baby on a schedule and to have them realize that they can fall asleep on their own. And it got the parents a lot more sleep and it got the baby a lot more sleep. And I've only heard all good things, but then like from the people who have done it, I haven't heard of any video. Like I haven't seen any video where someone tried sleep training and absolutely hated it and failed and said like, you should not do sleep training. The only people I've heard that, uh, the only people I've heard say that sleep training is bad is these like crunchy moms who, I'll get into the reasons why they don't like it, but before research, I thought the reason was, I heard something about if if you um, are crying for too long, if babies cry for too long, the levels of cortisol spike in their brains and their emotions like can get all kind of thrown off and people are more or less dramatic about how bad the 
high levels of cortisol are. Um, some people say it can cause like long-term damage in intelligence and stuff. And some people just say like, it's not in general good for your baby to have spiked cortisol levels. So those are the only arguments I had heard. I found an article that lists out more. Um, and yeah, we'll go through those, but some of them are really funny. It's like, it starts out kind of scientific, like the cortisol levels. And then it, it kind of like, you know, it, the strength of the arguments kind of decline as we go. The last one's just like, it's so hard to hear your baby cry for any amount of time. And I don't know. I just, I don't like those kind of arguments. I, I need some like concrete reasons as to why or why not uh, to do it. Anyway, so let's get into what is sleep training. Um, so again, I'll link all the sources below in the description, but in the article that I was looking at, it says in today's scientific literature, the term sleep training is an umbrella term that refers to a spectrum of approaches to help babies learn to fall asleep by themselves. So from what I understand, not being a mom, um, you like in the first few months, uh, basically the, you want your baby to sleep a lot and you can't really be on a schedule that much. Like I've heard people going on like loose schedules at about eight weeks, but from what I've heard it, they just say, Hey, the first two months you're basically trying to survive. Like, and so a lot of babies will fall asleep, like on the mom or on a parent or breastfeeding or, you know, something like that, just being in a little bassinet and stuff. But sleep training is once they're ready, once their body weight is like up and once they can physically handle going, getting through the night without like a nighttime feed or even sometimes with a nighttime feed, um, you can start have doing sleep training, which means that instead of like when your baby cries, like if they're a new newborn, if the, your baby cries at night, you're probably just going to pick it up, rock the baby, nurse it, you know, anything to get it really like back to sleep. But you don't want your baby to be dependent on that for too long um, to fall asleep because it's important to develop uh, good self-soothing skills and sleeping skills. Uh, If you can hear my cat, he would like to go outside. So I'm going to pause it really quick. One second. So that's at least the theory of sleep trainers. Um to help self-regulate or self-soothe themselves to sleep. So they have good sleep skills and they will sleep better long-term. So um, again, that is disputed by anti-sleep trainers. But uh, when can you start sleep training? It's usually around four to six months. The other thing that's talked about a lot in regards to sleep training is doubling of your birth weight or the baby's birth weight. Um, So if the baby was born at eight pounds, you would wait until they were about 16 pounds to start uh, sleep training because that's usually when you can sleep through the night safely. But uh, this article more focused on like the age of four months, even if you need a night feed, you can still start sleep training with a baby that's four months and you can like plan a feeding in the middle of the night. So, um, usually four months they say is a good, 
uh, time to start with sleep training because around four months, a lot of babies go through what they call a sleep regression, which is when sleep cycles are changing and they have longer periods of lighter sleep. And so it's a good time to take advantage of independent training and having them fall asleep on their own. Again, for this one, they say that many four month babies will still feed through the night. So if the calming methods don't work in sleep training, don't force it for too long because there may be like a legitimate need that your child has and that's totally fine. You can plan uh, feeds through the night. Uh, just it is better if it's planned. Um, but again, like you don't just want to have your baby if they legitimately need something they're crying for, um, like they need food. You don't just want to be like, well, they're calming themselves down. I'm just going to let them cry. Uh, you want to at some point have a plan to like if they cry for this long, um, that might be a legitimate time I need to pick them up. So, um, okay, this says to this article suggests to be on a schedule well before trying sleep training. So starting about at about two months, like I mentioned, it's good to start like putting them down in a crib, getting them used to it. Um, having like a bedtime routine. I've heard that helps a lot. So, um, whereas you would normally feed a baby like four ounces per feeding in the bedtime routine, you feed them a bigger meal to get, you know, to signal like, okay, we're going to go a longer time sleeping. And then you, you know, implement like a bath time and, um, be in a room with like dim light and, do like read stories or do something that is different from your normal like wake nap sleep routine um that signals that it is bedtime so again like I heard bath time is really good for this like you would feed them a bigger feed and then um have bath time and then read stories and then go to bed and that is like your whole bedtime routine that signals that they're about to um they're about to go down for sleep. <clears throat> they also say wake windows are very important um, because like either undertired or overtired babies both have a really hard time falling asleep. So you need to make sure that wake windows uh, are, you know, and they have uh, correct like wake window times for each age. But they just basically said that it's important to have your baby entertained or, um, you know, stimulated during that time. So like their brain is doing something. So they get tired. Um, even if their wake window is technically correct, but the baby is just like laying in the, uh, in like a bouncer all day without any like stimulation, they're going to be under tired because they need to use their brains a little bit more. So that's very important. Okay. So there are a few different methods of sleep training. And this said that there's only, that there are six. I thought that there were only two, which one is cry it out. And one is the Ferber method. I thought that those were the only two. So let me go over those two and then we'll get into the other ones. Um, okay. So the Ferber method is basically called the check and console, which is you never feed or rock your baby to sleep. You do your whole nighttime routine and make sure that they are still awake during the entirety of the nighttime routine. So they suggest breastfeeding before bed, I mean, sorry, before bath time, just so that um, they the baby doesn't fall asleep breastfeeding and then they associate that with sleeping. So basically what you do is you do your whole nighttime routine, make sure that they're awake, put them in the crib. 
Then you leave the room and wait a specific amount of time. Now, most people I've seen do this, they start at one minute. So they will leave the room and when their baby cries for one minute, they'll go in and try to reassure the baby by rubbing their chest or, you know, singing or anything they want to console, but you can't pick the baby up. So then once they're a little bit settled down, you leave again. If they cry again, you do the same thing, but you increase the intervals. So, so you continue that until you get to a 10 to 15 minute crying interval. And basically if they keep it up until then, um, you know that there's probably something they actually need. Like they might legitimately be really hungry. I've heard 10, this article said 15. I feel like 15 is pretty long, especially because you've been building it up. So they've cried for like 10 minutes and then probably 15 minutes. So it seems like a lot. I would probably pick them up at 10, but I'm no doctor and I'm not even a mom yet. So I just think that once I, that I do this method, I would try 10. Um, but usually I've only heard of like one person that's ever gotten to that 10 minute mark with crying. Usually, um, from everyone that I've heard, uh, it says that they, they say that there's so much progress right away. So maybe the first night they'll get to like seven minutes, but then, you know, the next night they get to like three and then pretty much within a week they are sleeping through and not really fussing too much before bed. So it seems to be like very, very quick progress to get them to sleep. Um, Okay, it's helpful also to keep a sleep training log about what happened each night uh, just so that you can see the progress and um, see what's working or not working in your log. Okay, this is, the next one is called extinction or cry it out. And yeah, I don't like this method. And this is the one that's like very controversial. This is really what gives sleep training a bad name. The cry it out method is just Basically, it just means that you're extinguishing behavior by not responding to it. So you still have a nighttime routine. um, And once you put your baby down, you you have agreed to not go in until morning. Unless it's predetermined that you need a feed, that they need a feed at night. Or um, in the middle of the night. But that has to be predetermined if you... um, If you haven't predetermined that, if your baby's like six months old and they can definitely make it through the night, you're just putting them down and making, you know, they're going to cry until they figure it out and go to bed. So they say that this one is a lot, a lot of crying, but it's very short term. So this one you can, it basically works within a couple days, um, to a week. And, um, but again, this is like, this has some variation. So some say, I'm not going to go in until there's been like two wake ups, or three wake-ups or something like that because, again, babies wake up a lot in the middle of the night. And so some aren't so extreme where they just say, I'm not even going to like go in there until morning. Some are just like, well, I'm going to wait until they wake up a couple times and then I'll go in. So there's variations as with any of these, but uh, this one is definitely the most controversial. I don't like this one. And I think this is where the cortisone argument comes in, where if there's like such prolonged crying, it's not good for your, um, child's brain. You know, that could all be a myth, but it seems right. Like, I don't know if a child should be crying for like an hour, let's say. Um, but that is definitely 
a method that some people use, although I don't know if a lot of people actually use that one anymore or they've all kind of gone to the gradual, like, I'm going to check on you in five minutes sort of thing. Um, I'm sure some people do, but I don't know how popular that is since it's very controversial now. Um, Okay, the third method is the chair method, which is a lot more gradual. Um, It's a two-week implementation plan and requires a lot of discipline. It says basically you do the same thing, you prep the baby for bed, but then when you put the, the baby in the crib, you sit a chair right next to the crib. So you're like not really touching them, but they know that you're there. When they're asleep, you leave. And then once they wake up and cry, you return to the chair basically. And you sit there until they calm down. So then as the two weeks progresses, you end up moving the chair further and further away. I don't love this method because it seems very slow and there's way too much discipline involved. Like I think you can't touch your child Obviously, if your chair's moving further and further away, you aren't touching them. So if you're right there, you're not really allowed to touch them because they're supposed to self-soothe. They're just supposed to know that you're nearby. Um, So I feel like if I'm right there and I'm sitting right next to my baby and they're crying, I would want to pick it up. Like, it's too hard to not pick it up or touch it at all. So um, I, I feel like... I want like a, a week, a one week sort of implementation because um, it just seems like that that's easier for everyone. There's also the pick up, put down and shush pat. So this one is you stay in the room without giving too much help to fall asleep. So basically just like um, shush them, pat their stomach or put pressure on their chest. Let them fuss a little bit, but once it escalates, you can pick them up for a short period of time um, rock them a little bit and then put them back down. So you're not helping them too much, but it's a little bit more help than let's say the Ferber method where you're not supposed to pick them up. Um, people say that you have to do this at the right age or like four months to six months is the best because once a baby is older, like six or seven months, uh, it might be too much stimulation for them to like be picked up and then put down and it might actually hurt their sleep to, um, you know, to have all that movement and extra stimulation. Okay, then there's the bed r- bedtime routine fading. So this is where you continue whatever method. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> you continue whatever method you use to get the baby to fall asleep. Like you'll rock the baby or nurse the baby or whatever. Um, and they can fall asleep. But you decrease the time you're doing it um, until you don't have to at all. So this is like the most minimal crying routine, um, but it's hard to sustain because there's really no end in sight. It takes a long time. It's like even longer than a two week implementation because you, yeah, you do your whole bedtime routine, then you rock them and then you have to really time like, okay, I rocked them for 15 minutes and they fell asleep. So now I'm going to rock them for 14 minutes. Then I'll put them in the crib. Then I'll rock for 13 minutes. There's really like no end in sight. So I don't love this method, but it is one. And then one similar is a bedtime routine fading. It's different than the, wait, I put the same thing. Hold on. Uh, I put the same name in both. Okay. What I meant to say was bedtime hour fading. So in this method, you, okay, let's say you normally put your baby down at 830. 
but they kind of fuss and um, are moving around and cry a little bit and all of that stuff until nine. And then they, you tend to notice that they usually actually fall asleep at about nine. What you do is you move their bedtime to when they normally actually fall asleep. So you'll, instead of putting them down at 8.30, you'll put them down at nine. And so the idea is they'll fall asleep kind of at the same time. They'll still fall asleep at nine and they will fall asleep quickly once you put them down. So you start doing that. You're now putting them down at nine. So they fall asleep quickly because that's their normal bedtime. And then you progressively move that time up to your, to whatever time you actually want to put them to bed. So you'll put them at to bed at nine the first night. And then, um, after a couple nights of that, maybe you move that to eight 45, a couple nights of that, you move it to eight 30. Um, and eventually you'll move it to like eight or whatever time you want to move their, their bedtime to. So that's a good way to give them, I think some confidence about like falling asleep quickly, um, on their own. And that can be combined with a lot of the other sleep training methods. But, um, yeah, that one seems like also kind of long with not a huge end in sight that can be seen. My favorite is the Ferber method where, you know, you have some backup of like, if the baby keeps crying, they must need something. So I'm just going to go pick them up and it's fine. Um, I don't really like to cry it out because you're like, I don't care how much you cry. I'm not going to come in, which I feel like isn't, isn't the best. Um, but yeah, so I like the Ferber method. I definitely want to try sleep training when I have a, a baby because I just feel like overall it seems really great, but I wanted to understand why people don't like sleep training. And here are the reasons I found an article that outlined 10 reasons and I thought it was pretty, um, pretty con- not conclusive encapsulating of all of the arguments, at least that I've heard. So, okay. Why are some people against sleep training? One, number one, they say it misunderstands normal baby sleep. They say no one sleeps through the night in quotes. They say it's a sleep cycle. A baby sleep cycle is 45 minutes long and frequent waking protects against SIDS. So, and I'm going to refute pretty much all of these because I, I am for sleep training after reading all of the things that I've read. Um, I do agree that yeah, frequent waking protects against SIDS and I don't think sleep training prevents babies from waking up, uh, in the middle of the night. It just, it just makes them able to fall back asleep quickly. It's not that the 45 minutes is getting extended or the sleep cycle is getting, uh, thrown off or they're just like dead asleep for three hours at a time. Uh, sleep training does nothing with, uh, affecting the sleep cycle. So they should be waking up still every 45 minutes, but they should just be able to fall to get themselves back to sleep. Um, okay. This says they misunderstand the capabilities of babies. So self-soothing is okay. This is what the article says. Self-soothing is under the bad assumption that babies are regulating their emotions to be calm. They say that they're still in a state of high anxiety because the mom is not with them or the parents not with them. Um, they're just falling asleep, but they're still highly anxious. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is a reason to not do it for like three days because, you know, this article makes it seem like sleep training is going to be months, months and months of your baby being under high anxiety and high cortisone levels and all this stuff. But in reality, it's like a week 
So I don't know if them being a little bit nervous about, about the mom not being in the room for one week is going to really do anything anyway. Um, but yeah, that is an argument that they are still in a state of high anxiety. They're just able to fall asleep because they have like no other option. Um, okay. Here's the cortisol argument. High levels of stress, uh, correlate to negative long-term consequences. They say that there's a study that shows that nurtured babies, which I love how they call it nurtured, like sleep trained babies aren't nurtured, but anyway, they say that nurtured babies can be smarter and have better emotional regulation, um, because the extra cortisol like damages their brain. But again, I feel like that's for the straight cry it out method, which I am not for. I'm sure this cortisol thing is legitimate for the actual cry it out method, but I highly doubt that one night of 10 minutes of crying is going to make your baby dumber, you know? So, um, this says it does not work long term. So they did a study like, um, I don't know, a year later, I think. And they said that sleep trained babies and nurtured babies, um, had the same, basically the same sleep patterns, uh, later. And so there was no positive long-term, but I mean, I don't really care because the whole point of sleep training is to have good sleep short-term also. Like if I'm going to get up six times a night to go rock my baby to sleep, I'm going to be very tired. So in the two months where sleep training is kind of an option, um, I want to be able to have them sleep through the night or fall asleep on their own mostly when they wake up. So yeah, even if the baby, even if the sleep patterns like a year later are pretty similar to the other, I've had four months of good sleep while, uh, nurtured babies have had four months, like the parents have had four months of, of not good sleep. So anyway, I don't really care. Um, I mean, long-term pluses would be great, but if they're exactly the same, like there's also no negative of long-term, uh, sleep patterns for sleep trained babies. So, um, yeah, that doesn't seem like a good argument to me either. The next one is, uh, sometimes it doesn't even work short term. They say some babies have actual needs and they become, they're just more distraught because their needs. And some babies may be more clingy after you try to sleep train them essentially if it fails. So, um, which of course, of course, some babies have like needs where they can't, uh, sleep through the night, which is why the Ferber method I think is like the perfect, um, it's the perfect middle ground because a lot of these articles too, I looked at a bunch of them. A lot of these articles are essentially refuting the cry it out method, which I don't even know if anyone uses. The Ferber method is by far the like most popular method that I've seen because it does give you that out of if your baby actually has a need that it needs you, there's an out to go say, okay, I need to go rock my baby or nurse them or whatever. Um, the whole, this whole thing seems to be just refuting cry it out where they say, okay, like you're going to have a week of super high cortisone levels in your baby's brain, you know? So, uh, okay. This says it can break your baby's trust in you because if they are crying and their needs are not being met, <clears throat> then, um, how can they ever trust you again? This, this was such a dramatic article about like during this section. Um, it was extremely dramatic about how, um, if they're crying and they're, 
and no one's responding to them, they won't trust anyone. And they could have long-term trust issues because of that. And it seems wild because, again, this is like no more than a week. And in at least in the method that I am planning to use, you are coming in and responding. It's just at different intervals. So they know that their mom's going to come back in at some point, just not right away. So I don't think this is really applicable. Um, this says, yeah, this one was a stretch as well. The next one says it can ignore, sleep training can ignore the psychological or physical reasons for bad sleep, such as a tongue tie, like some other physical problem or the need to connect more to a working mother. So, um, again, this seemed very, very dramatic because even in the Ferber method, they're like, if your baby is legitimately not falling asleep, for X amount of time, you go in and try to get them them to fall asleep. So it's not like you're just saying, Hey, I don't care at all. Like I'm completely ignorant to the fact that you have a tongue tie or you just need me more. Like, it's just that after a certain amount of time, like you're going to wait a certain amount of time before you pick them up essentially. So again, this is refuting the cried out method in which you never go back in and the baby just has to try to fall back asleep on its own. And they're saying that that can ignore the like things like a tongue tie, which could be true, but, um, it seems like a very one dimensional argument. Um, okay. They say there can be a premature end to breastfeeding. Breastfed babies tend to feed, tend to need feeds until 12 months where experts say, where sleep training experts say six months. Um, so yeah, basically this article just got more and more annoying. And at this point I was like, I wrote that in my notes. I said, article getting more and more annoying (laughs) because this assumes that every, this basically was like every single time they cry, they need you to pick them up, soothe them, hold them and be their everything until the next time. Even if they're not really hungry, they might just need to, um, be clingy. I don't know. It just seems like to be encouraging this clinginess, even though they were talking about, um, how sleep training can make your baby clingy. Um, basically it assumes every single time a baby cries, it is your responsibility to go in and soothe them and to have no like training for them soothing themselves. It seems like common sense to me that at some point you're going to have to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable to help train your baby to do specific behaviors. Like you can't just, I mean, like as an adult or as like a middle schooler, let's say your parents aren't just going to be like coddling you the entire time. I get that having a baby is different, but, but in life there are some things that are uncomfortable so that you learn. I would assume that part is a little bit similar for babies. Like if your baby is just used to nursing to fall asleep and you want them to fall asleep in the crib, there's no reason why you can't train your baby to fall asleep in the crib because it's not a need. At, at 12 months old, you don't need night feeds, but some babies might just want them because they're used to them, you know? So um, this is just like, it's getting into a lot of hippie stuff where it's just like anytime your baby rustles, they need you. And no matter how inconvenient it is for you, just do whatever they want, even if it's not needed, basically. That's how I read this. Um, the next argument is 
that sleep training misunderstands the development of independence. Oh, this is where the hippie stuff really came in. It said, um, people sleep train because they are scared of not having independent children. They think that they'll be reliant on the parents for a long time if they nurture or kind of coddle them. This article said, the only way you can raise an independent child is to allow them to be dependent on you for as long as they need, and they'll slowly start branching out in the world. Okay, there is no way that throughout my life, if I did, if my parents let me do whatever I want and just let me branch out on my own, I would be like socially functioning, okay? Like there are some times when you need to give a little push of independence as a parent, I believe. And so this is one of those times, like you don't need... I don't know. This is a completely different lens of viewing parenting as like you need to, they need to be fully available to you and you need to nurse them, raise like, uh, rock them, uh, you know, whatever, every single time they stir, because that's the only way to get them to have independence. Like that seems like a terrible, terrible argument to me. And if my parents didn't push me for some independence, like I wouldn't have it for a very long time. So I do not agree with this at all. Um, and then the last one got like the most, the least scientific, it got less and less scientific as we went. Um, like the only, the only, uh, argument in here that I kind of find like legitimate is the cortisol levels, which is why I agree that you shouldn't let your baby cry for an extended, extended period of time. But if it's a few days with like a 10 minute cap, then I highly doubt that that would cause any long-term brain damage to your kid. But okay, the last argument, which I thought was hilarious because it's just so not scientific at all, is sleep training is exhausting and horrible to do. Okay, so they basically say that since it's hard to hear your baby cry short term, that you should not do sleep training. They say, how excruciating is it as a mom to hear your baby cry? And I'm not downplaying that. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's very, very hard to hear your baby cry and know that you can't or you don't want to go in there yet. However, they say that it's exhausting. And you know what sounds exhausting to me is having like four months of going into my baby's room six times a night because they fuss and don't know how to get back down themselves. That sounds way more exhausting to me than a week of being tired and a little bit sad that I can't go in when my baby's crying, you know? So it's all about a trade-off. Like I would like to be exhausted maybe for one week when sleep training and in order to have like four more months of restful sleep and restful nights. And I think that's just going to work best for the family. Now, of course, there's babies with like colic and stuff that this does not work for, that's a whole separate situation. But for a baby, for most babies without colic or some other condition, this seems to work very well. And the Ferber method seems to work within about a week, especially if you have a schedule beforehand. Now, again, this is all hearsay and things that I've seen on YouTube from all my YouTube watching of mothers. Um, So I don't know. We'll see once I actually have a baby, if this actually works, I'll probably do like a check-in to see how it actually works. Um, But I'm hoping to do the Ferber method and hopefully that all works very quickly. So 
Um, that is all for this week's episode. It's a little bit shorter, but I'm interested in hearing if any of you guys are moms out there, if you guys sleep train, didn't sleep train, what were your thoughts on it? Comment below or DM me on Instagram because I'm always very, very curious about, um, you know, obviously I have a small sample size. It's like YouTube moms. That's like maybe six of them. (laughs) So I don't have a big sample size, but if you, um, did sleep train or decided to not sleep train, tell me what your experience was and I would love to hear. So, um, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. I'm blown away by the growth of the podcast. We just had an episode hit a hundred views, like on its own, um, hit a hundred views, which was our COVID vaccines one. So thank you all so much for listening and, uh, I appreciate the support and have a great week. We'll see you for our Bible episode on Thursday. Bye everyone. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. And I would really appreciate if you would go rate and review this podcast on the Apple store. That is going to be how we continue to grow our millennial learns family and community. So come back every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for a new episode and DM me any questions on Instagram. It's at a millennial learns. Go check me out. Follow me, DM me questions you have about this episode or any future topics you would like to see me dive into. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I will see you Monday.